All right, if you didn't pick up the outline tonight, you might want to do that. I hope you will. Uh, tonight, we you'll really clap for this. Tonight, we're actually going to finish this series called Things You Need. So everybody want to clap for that. Yay, we're glad that you Yeah, hallelujah, praise the Lord, right? But uh, the, the outlines are back on the back if you'd like to have them to follow along. Uh, these things, <laughs> yeah, these, these, uh, these, these, um, I've tried to do these on Wednesday nights because I've really had a burden uh, for some time about uh, some of the things that we need to uh, prioritize in our lives and think about as God's people. And so I wanted to use uh, where we started was in Second uh, Peter chapter one. Uh, and uh, you'll remember those words. Uh, let me just, uh, to remind you, read them to you again. Uh, Peter said, Second uh, Peter chapter 1, in uh, verse number 5, Now for this reason also, apply all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence, and in your moral excellence, knowledge, and in your knowledge, self-control, in your self-control, perseverance, and in your perseverance, godliness, in your godliness, brotherly kindness, and in your brotherly kindness, love. If these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so we spent a lot of time looking at all of those qualities and a number of others. So before we go, so tonight I'd like for you to turn to 1 Peter chapter 4. And tonight we finish by talking about this truth. Here's what we need. The things we need. We need to serve others. We need a ministry of service to other people. All believers need a ministry of service to others. So let's pray tonight before we begin. I ask you each week to ask the Lord to put someone on your heart uh, that needs prayer tonight. So let's, uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gathering of your people all around this building. We pray for Brother Steve and the choir as they uh, prepare to share with us uh, Sunday night uh, the gospel and song. We thank you for all their hard work, how they're such a blessing to us. We thank you for all of our brothers and sisters who teach uh, the Bible on Wednesday nights, for Brother Tim and all the students that meet, and for Brother Ken and all the children and Ryan. We we're blessed people to have so many opportunities and great leaders and the chance to be together to uh, encourage one another and to walk, learn to walk with God and to live in godliness and holiness. I pray that tonight would be uh, no exception for us here in this room that you might truly uh, open our hearts and warm our hearts to the truth of serving others. Expose in our lives where we've not been faithful in serving and ministering to others. Tonight we pray for that special person that you put on our heart. Perhaps they're in the hospital or in, a, in the nursing facility or out on the out in the military somewhere or someone close by or whoever it might be, family or friend. Someone that we've just seen and met, a stranger. May, may the 
May the person we're praying for have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. May they be saved and know the joy of knowing Jesus and following the Lord. May they live by the power of the Holy Spirit and discover the joy of your word and walking with you. May you draw them away from sinfulness and wickedness and may you cause them to look to you and be saved. And then if they're saved, Lord, not where they ought to be tonight, going back to flesh and carnality, may you draw them back by your Holy Spirit and may they repent of their sins. And we pray for one another who are here. We pray for our people in our church who have so many emotions and so many struggles and so many things just bombard the minds of our people. And we pray that you might give them peace in their mind and that you might give them the joy of the Lord Jesus. We thank you now for your word and we thank you for the chance we have to have fellowship around the word of God for just a little while together. And we pray for those who are joining us uh, uh, through uh, these electronic abilities and means and we pray that you'd bless them all wherever they are May your rich blessing come upon them as they open their Bibles and study along with us and we have fellowship around the Word of God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. First Peter chapter 4. We begin in verse number 7. The end of all things is near. Therefore be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. Above all... Keep fervent in your love for one another, because love covers a multitude of sins. Be, hosp be hospitable to one another without complaint. As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another. As good stewards of the manifold grace of God, whoever speaks, whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterance of God. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies, so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So, Heavenly Father, bless the reading of your word. May the Holy Spirit of God be our teacher tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So this, uh, all of us tonight represent just a small uh, group of our own people here at the church. So I have two questions for you as we begin before we look at these observations. We'll just work our way through verses 7 through 11. But I have to ask you two very important personal questions. Uh, number one, do you have a ministry? Do you have a ministry? Uh, the Word of God teaches us, so what are pastors good for? Well, a lot of people have that question, I'm sure, even in this church. What are pastors good for? Well, pastors are for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. That's what pastors are for. My job is to help you and equip you as God's people to do the work of God. So I ask you tonight, do you have a ministry? Do you have something that God's called you to do? You know it in your heart. You practice it in your life. It is what you do. Whether you're 
an old timer here or a young timer or somewhere in between. Uh, the fact of the matter is God calls all of his people to ministry. Not just people who preach and teach. Not just deacons, not just teachers. We all, we all, as God's people, minister. So do you have a ministry, first of all? And secondly, I'm not trying to offend you tonight, but uh, are you just uh, expecting everybody else to serve you rather than you serve anybody else? A lot of times uh, there is this idea in church, you know, we we need people to serve us, to do for us, take care of us. Well, that's important and we need to do it. When we need help, we need to share that with one another. But the question is, are you here expecting everyone to serve you and you don't serve anybody? Well, there's something missing in your Christian life if that's the case. Because God designed us to serve. The Lord Jesus served, and we must learn to serve. So, I'm going to work you through this tonight because here's something unique. You know why some of you are miserable? You're not serving. You know why some of you are unhappy? You don't have a ministry. You're caught up in selfishness and self-concerns, and you haven't looked outward to others. You see, it's love God with all your heart, your mind, your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. I'm last. God's first. You're second. I'm last. That must be your motto in the way you live your life every day. So we see these, um, I believe there are five observations that we, I'm just going right through the verses here, that talk to us about the things we need. Some of these things Peter says are uh, have been said a long time ago. But they're still just as real as they were uh, the first day in which uh, Peter wrote these words. He says something that's rather unpopular, even in the church, because we have such selfishness about ourselves. He says in verse 7, the end of all things is near. You see, the end of all things is near. This this perspective on time and life is important for all. I, I ask you today, do you really believe that the end of all things is near? That time is just about done? That the end of the world is near? Well, crazy people say that. And crazy preachers say that. And oddballs and strange, crazy-looking people who seem to be imbalanced and mentally deranged say such things. Well, it's in the Word of God. And I wanted you to see how many places it's in the Word of God. I could have elaborated this more, but I gave you four, and if you have the outline, you got, you know, again, this is the most spoiled Bible study class in this church. The most spoiled. There's not one teacher in here, well, maybe Edwin, that writes out all the verses for you. Look at this. Here it is. Here it is. You you can read them all, I've, and you can check them in your Bible. I've given them to you. You're all spoiled, but I love you anyway. Notice this. Romans 13, 11. Paul says it. Do this knowing the time. That is already, uh, excuse me, that is already the, it is already the hour for you to awaken from sleep. For now, salvation is nearer to us than when we believed. Okay, I'll just use Paul's phrase. 
the coming of the Lord Jesus is nearer now tonight than it was when you were saved, when you first got saved. It's closer. It's not farther away. So we have some things we must do because the end of the world is near. There's an old uh, business saying, begin with the end in mind. You know, that's the way Christians ought to live. That's not just a good business saying. That's a Christian saying. That's what Peter's trying to say. Begin with the end in mind. You want to know how to live? You want to know how to make a difference? You want to know what you need? First of all, it is an awareness that the end of the world is near. But now, uh, Hebrews 9.26 is there, the second one. But now once, at the consummation of the ages, that's what Paul uh, calls it here in Hebrews, the coming of the Lord. It's the consummation of the ages. But now once, at the consummation of the ages, he has been manifested, the Lord Jesus, to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. So the consummation of the ages, the time is near. Uh, uh, Paul says, uh, salvation is nearer to you than when you first believed. James chapter 5, be patient, strengthen your hearts for the coming of the Lord is near. So we have Paul, we have Peter, now we have James. Do not complain, brethren, against one another, so that you yourselves may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. A very powerful way of saying, look, the Lord Jesus is about to come through the door. He's about to return to this world. First uh, John. So we have uh, James's witness. We have Paul's witness. We have Peter's witness. And now we have John's witness. Children, it is the last. He doesn't say day. He says the last hour. And just as you heard that Antichrist is coming. Even now, many Antichrists have appeared from, from this. We know that it's the last hour. How do I know it's the last hour? Well, Antichrist has come. That is those who say and deny Jesus Christ as the Son of God. That's Antichrist. That's the spirit of Antichrist. And one day, truly, a world leader will take control of all things, Antichrist and his prophet. It's coming. It's coming. Well, there were those who, who uh, you know, they, uh, that even in the days of Peter, you know, they, uh, they mocked him. And I've read these words to you before in 2 Peter 3. Where's the promise of his coming? For ever since, this is verse 4 of 3, 4, 2 Peter 3, 4. Since the fathers fell asleep, all continues as it was from the beginning. And so he goes on, and then he reminds them of this truth. The Lord is not slow about his promise to come, verse 9, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing any to perish, for all to come to repentance. So in the good kindness of God and his patience, the time is near, but the Lord wishes that all would be saved in this generation. That's our job. Uh, we saw it on Sunday morning, uh, and I, I don't want to labor too long, but uh, we saw it on Sunday morning, Revelation chapter 1, uh, verse number 3. Blessed, blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy, and heed the things which are written in it, for the time is near. 
So when you watch the news, do you make any connection to the work of God in the world? I'm going to give you John Wesley's old quote again. Now, he, he didn't live in the day of TV. You know, John Wesley was the, the, one of the early leaders and founders of Methodism. He said, I read my Bible to find out what God wants me to do, and I read the newspaper to see what God is doing in the world. Pick your favorite news channel. Tom Brokaw or whoever else you watch. Some of you know who that is. Isn't he on? I think he's, he's like, yeah, he is. He's on real late at night. He's really old, and they put him way on late at night. He can't hardly talk, but he's still on there. And who knows what he's talking about? I don't listen to him. I don't even listen to the news, frankly. But you know, if you're all tied up in the news and current events today, you're worried about the world and what's going on, the time is near. Time is near. What are you going to do with your children? What are you going to do with your grandchildren? What are you going to do in your own personal spiritual life? The time is near. The time is near. So, what does he say? Be of sound judgment and sober spirit. Notice, for the purpose of prayer. Since the time is near. Look at this in verse 7. I'm back in 1 Peter 4, 7. Since the time is near for all things to be over, to end... Therefore, be of two words, sound judgment, sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. I've given you the definition. What is, what is it to have a sound mind? Well, a sound mind means to have a right mind, to be right-minded, to have a controlled mind, to learn how to manage and control your mind. You say, oh, I can't do that. Yes, you can. You actually have more strength and uh, self-control than you give yourself credit for and the Holy Spirit will help you and God will give you power. The question is tonight, are you right-minded? Are you right-minded? Who's filling your mind and what kinds of things are in your mind? Be sound-minded. Paul says, for through the grace given to me, I say to everyone, don't think more of yourself than you should. Now that's the way to be right-minded. Don't think that you're the center of the universe. Don't live in selfishness and self-righteousness and, and critical spirit and judgmental attitudes toward others because you think you're the most important. Or I think I am. Don't, don't think more highly of yourself than you should. But notice, but think so as to have sound judgment as God has allotted to each one a measure of faith. In. And what did Paul say for pastors to do like me? Remind young men to be sensible. It's the same word. Be right-minded, young men. Have a right mind. Don't do crazy things. Don't think stupid stuff. Have a sound mind, and then notice the sober spirit. The, the, the actual word sober means to have calm, to be calm and collected. To have you know, a fancy word, dispassionate spirit. To not have your spirit all churned up. And oh, how people are churned up today. Oh, they're churned up. It's because of what they listen to. It's because of what they think about. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be of sound judgment in your mind, sober in your spirit. Notice, for the purpose of praying. You know, if any of these surveys that go around that preachers like me read, you know, about surveying churches, you know, that they've said that during these this last year of all this, uh, all of this we're going through, 
that uh, Bible reading has dropped off among Christians and prayer. What in the world? How in the world? Can that really be true? I don't know. I don't take surveys. But it troubles me to think that God's people don't pray. That we're not praying people. We're complaining people, but we're not praying people. We've always got an issue. But we don't have anything. We're not praying. The end of all things is near. So what do you do? Pray. My brothers and sisters, pray. Pray. Sound-mindedness and soberness prepare us for praying. Uh, I just give you some wonderful words here. I urge you, brethren, Romans 15.30, I urge you, brethren, by the Lord Jesus and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God for me. We we wrestle in prayer. We we strive in prayer. 2 Corinthians 1.11, you also joining and helping us through your prayers. That's what we do for one another. We pray for one another. So that Thanks may be given by many persons on our behalf for favor bestowed on us through the prayers of many. Paul was dependent on the prayers of God's people as he did his work. It's the same today. We must pray for one another. Epaphras, Colossians 4, who is one of your number. He's talking about uh, Epaphras. Paul is writing to the Colossian church and he says, Epaphras, he's one of your people. He's from Colossi, he says he's a bond slave of Jesus Christ. He sends his greetings. Look at this. Always laboring earnestly for you in his prayers. Prayer is work. It's the work of us. It's our service. It's our service to one another. What a sad thing if we don't pray for one another. If you say you're praying for somebody, don't lie. You know, there is in our tradition, this, I'm really praying for you. It doesn't mean we really are. It just means that we should say that because that sounds like a good thing to say. Don't lie. But pray. So the end of the world is near. I'm on the bandwagon. I'm on the bandwagon. The end of the world is near. I'm riding on the bandwagon with Paul and James and John. And I'm not worried about the timing of it. I know the declaration has been made. The time is near. The end is about here. You better live with the end in mind. If you know that the Lord is about to come. If you know that the world is about to be destroyed and burned up. Because I don't like all this kind of preaching. Well, okay, I'm sorry. You didn't have to come tonight. You got it anyway. You can't. He says... Since all these things are to be, since all these things are going to happen, what kind of people ought we to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the Lord? That's the way we're supposed to live, my dear friend. Then, what else do we have here? Fervently love others in these end times. So what do we need to do toward one another? Love each other. That would be a good thing. Let's use this. Let's do some Greek uh, work here. Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another. The, the Greek word for fervency is a word that literally means to stretch out. To stretch. It's just a picture, picture of a fabric. You stretch over a, over a, a container. It's, you stretch it. Fervent love is stretched out love. You ever been stretched out in your love? You're about worn out. You can't do it anymore, can you? Notice he says, above all. While you're praying, keep fervent. Maintain fervency 
earnest love for one another. It's real love. It's love that's sincere, folks. We should sincerely love one another, not hypocritically love one another. First Peter 1.22, since you have in obedience to the truth, purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, fervently love each other with stretched out love from the heart. Some people are just hard to love from the heart. They might be sitting right next to you, by the way, tonight. But we must learn as God's people to love other people. Love is not emotional. Love is patient. Love is kind. Remember Romans, uh, excuse me, 1 Corinthians 13? We all know it in this room. I know who's in here tonight. So we're reminded of 1 Corinthians. It's a duty and responsibility. May the Lord cause you to increase and abound in love for one another. It's the last days. What do we need to do? Love each other. Put down all the silliness and love one another. Quit all of the quit all of the rubble and noise and stir and questioning. Love one another. Fervently love. That's how you serve one another. You love each other. You love them. Let love of the brethren continue. And then he goes on. He says, be hospitable to one another without complaint. One, who's one of the famous examples of somebody who was a griping, hospitable person? Martha. You all know the story of Martha? You know what I'm talking about? Some of you are looking at me like I'm talking German here. Remember? The Lord is at the house. The Lord Jesus is at the house. And Mary's sitting there listening to what the Lord Jesus has to say. And Martha is griping the whole time. Here, Lord, here's your food. By the way, my sister ought to be... Oh, here we go. With all of this talk, talk. Be hospitable to one another. What does he say? Without complaint. So what does the word hospitable mean? It literally means to be generous to the, to the, to the stranger. It is an idea of generosity toward those who can't ever give you anything back. Hospitality. Not a southern thing. It's a Bible thing. Hospitality is at the heart of this. Hospitality in the South, like it is everywhere else, is always great when it's your family and your buddies. But hospitality here has to do with doing things for people that are unheard of. I'll give you the best examples. John 13, 12 to 15. So when he had washed their feet and taken his garments and reclined at the table again, he said to them, Do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If then the Lord and the teacher washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I gave you an example that you also should do. That you should do. My other favorite one from the Lord Jesus is John 21. The Lord is risen from the dead. He is now the glorified Lord Jesus. Risen from the dead, folks, I want you to hear me. He's risen from the dead, and what's he doing? He's making a charcoal fire and putting fish on it for some knucklehead disciples who never can figure it out. Jesus said to them, well, excuse me, John 21, 9. So when they got on the land, they were out fishing, they saw a charcoal fire already laid and fish placed on it and bread. Now the Lord didn't direct somebody else to hurry up get that fire. Come on, come on. Let's go. Hurry up. Let's get these guys. He did it. 
the resurrected Lord Jesus made a campfire. I want you to just pause and think about that for a minute. The glorious one, the Lord Jesus, victorious over sin and death and the devil, and he's making a charcoal fire. If I keep going, I'm going to really get going. And he put fish on it. And Jesus said, come have breakfast. Now that's hospitality. That's what I'm supposed to do toward others. That's what you're supposed to do toward others. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them. And the fish likewise. Paul says, Romans 12, 13, practice hospitality. This is a practice. This is a part of ministry, my dear friends. So how do I minister to others? I pray. How do I minister to others? I love them. How do I minister to others? I show hospitality. And, you know, of course, Paul reminds us in Hebrews 13, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. For some have entertained angels without knowing it. We know that great example of Sarah and, and Abraham. So I ask you today, are you practicing the ministry of hospitality? Maybe there's somebody going to be left out this Christmas. Well, what can you do about it? Well, you can do something about it. You can add another chair at the table. You can find a way and go and see that person and do something for them like the Lord Jesus did. As simple as making a charcoal fire and giving them a piece of fish and bread. This is what we can all do. There's nothing complicated about this. Here's what we need. We need to serve and minister to one another in this church. Everyone. Not just those we like the most. Not just those who are our friends who believe just like us. No, we pray. We fervently love one another with a stretched out love. We're hospitable. And then finally, we get to it. We serve others. Notice what he says here. As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another. I'm looking at a gifted group of people in here. You're all gifted. If you're saved, you've been gifted spiritually. You've been gifted spiritually and you are responsible to use your spiritual gifts. And for 10 years now, while I've been here, every person who's joined this church since I've been here, I can't speak for what happened before. We have gone through and labored to try to get all of them to fill out and complete a profile, an inventory on their spiritual gifts so that they know and understand how God has equipped them to serve as each one has received a special gift. And it's not even Christmas time. You have received a special gift. Employ it in serving one another. What's this word serve mean? Well, it's actually the Greek word used for deacons, diakonos here. Table weight. That's what it is. That's what a deacon is supposed to be. A table waiter. Not a boss. Not an administrator. Not a manager. Not a governor, not a president, a table waiter. That's the job of a deacon. That's also the job of every believer in Jesus Christ. We wait on one another. 
That's sometimes very annoying, isn't it? You know, what was that, what was that thing that people used to say? All that? It was the, is the old uh, joke. The preacher said, well, I, I love the church. It's just the people I cannot stand. <laughs> you all know that. Preachers aren't the only ones who say that. Are you waiting on somebody today? Well, you know what? You might need to take them somewhere and just wait. You take them to the doctor. You take them to the grocery store. You I could, I know who's in this room, and I could start telling stories about some of you who have such a wonderful heart of service, and you wait on others. God bless you to your own detriment. May the Lord bless you. May your tribe increase. May this church become a group of people who have received a special gift and we employ it to serve one another. You see, if you don't use your gift, you're not blessing me and I'm not blessing you. We must do this to be a blessing to one another. Somebody needs you. Oh, no, not me. Don't give it that false piety thing. False humility. No. You have a special gift. It's your responsibility to know in the Word of God and the church here will help you to know that. But then you've got to go to work and do it. He's saying, employ it. I love the word here. I read from the New American Standard. Verse 10. Employ it in serving one another. Put your gift to work. Employ your gift. Matthew 20, 28. The Son of Man did not come to be served. Is there any? Do we need any other verse besides that? If I'm going to be a follower of Jesus, I do what he did. Line up and serve somebody. Uh, again, I give you this. This is a great one. I love this. I love these personal stories of Paul. They show up in his letters. The Lord grant mercy to the house, to the whole household, the whole family of Onesiphorus. Now, that's not a southern name. For he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he was in Rome, he eagerly searched for me and found me. This is what this man and his family did they looked for paul in rome rome was a big city the lord granted him to find mercy from the lord on that day and you know very well what services he rendered at ephesus this is a man who served and paul thanked him for it and here we are what these almost two thousand years later speaking of this man and his service to paul the apostle you do not know, nor will you ever know this side of heaven, the value and blessing of your service to somebody else. Waiting on them. For God is not unjust so as to forget your work and the love which you have shown toward his name. Notice, how do you show love to the name of the Lord? Read it carefully. In having ministered and still ministering to the saints. If you say you love God... It is shown by your service to others. That's very strong from Paul. And so then he finishes by simply saying, use your special gift as a, as a good steward, a manager of God's grace given to you. Whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterance of God. That's why I always take it serious when I stand before you. I think I take it serious. I'm not here to entertain you. I'm not here to please you. I'm here to please the Lord. And to say what I need to say from the word of God, thus says the Lord. This is what the Bible says. I need to hear it. You need to hear it. So whoever teaches, whoever speaks, speak as if you are speaking the utterance of God. And then look at this. He just generally says it. He doesn't go into the details like Paul does of 
the various spiritual gifts, and those are important to know. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving, notice, by the strength which God supplies. And I have seen it in the lives of people in this room who have been stretched out, who have served and served and served and are about to go down. And you know what the Lord does? He keeps giving them strength. And it's an amazing thing. You cannot out-serve the Lord. He will bless you and strengthen you for this reason, my friends, so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So what do we need to remember tonight? I always use this as a means of application. So how do we apply this? Well, number one, the end of all things is very close. Prayerfulness increases as the end of time comes closer. And what I mean by that is if we have an awareness of the end of things, we will pray more. Fervent love for God's people is stretched out love for God's people. People will stretch you, won't they? To love other people, it stretches you. It demands of you things in your mind, in your will, in your emotions, and in your actions you don't really want to do. But loving one another fervently is a stretched out kind of love. And hospitality is serving like the Lord Jesus. You want to know what is the best example of service of the Lord? is His hospitality. And those who serve the Lord, those who serve the Lord serve others. You see, my job isn't to judge you on how you serve. I have enough problems looking in the mirror and determining and evaluating my level of service. There are some in the church who find it their job to critique others and their service. The best thing to do is just mind your own business and serve. That's the best thing to do. It's not helpful for you to criticize others and their levels of service. Leave that to the Lord. I believe He'll take care of it. So you serve. And serve freely. Serve joyfully. Prayerfully. With love. Do you live with an awareness that we're at the end of time? I'm just asking you tonight as we close. All the things that go on in our world, they're not by happenstance. They're not accidental. They're all coming to this world, either permitted or sent directly by the Lord. Do you pray like it's the end of time? If you really knew that Jesus Christ would come before the night is over, how would you pray differently for your children? If you really believe that the Lord Jesus Christ would come in the morning at 8 a.m., how differently would you pray for your lost friends? What would you do tonight that would be different before you laid your head down to go to sleep? How would you pray for America? How would you pray for the world? If you don't begin with the end in mind, you don't pray. You don't serve. You live in self-centeredness. Is your love for others stretching you? Well, that's good. Congratulations. I hope it stretches you some more. Just keep stretching. Keep stretching. Keep stretching. You'll never love in a greater way than the Lord has loved us. When did you last show hospitality to a stranger or strangers, not just your family and your buddies? important to be with our brothers but what did the Lord say what what credit is it to us if we just greet and hang out with those that we all love and know 
We're just like the Gentiles, the lost. There's no difference in that, running with our buddies. But when you reach out your hand and say, or you call, or you text, or you write a card to someone who is a stranger, that's when God pays attention to what we're doing. Commit yourself to serve like Jesus, and oh, my friends, serve others with all your heart. Those are the things we need. And may the Lord bless you. And I hope these uh, words in these days have been a blessing to you. And we'll be praying about what we begin to do uh, next week and at the beginning of the new year. But it's always a privilege to be with you and study the Word of God. And I love you. I love you in the Lord. And I pray you have a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. And uh, may this church do the will of God in the days that we've been given as best we can. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the blessings of Peter. Peter, at the end of his life, so rich and full what he had to say. He had learned how to walk with you. He had learned how to love you and believe in you. Though he saw you at resurrection time, one day he was martyred. Lord, we thank you for his testimony. We thank you for being one of our spiritual fathers from the Word of God that helps us to know how to follow Jesus. So, Lord, help us to live and to serve one another as we've learned tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I was just thinking about this. I told my son about that the other day. He was talking about people not being able to get a good night's sleep. Everybody's worried. I, thought, I said, you know what? Peter learned how to get a good night's sleep. Think about the, there, there are actually recorded times in, in the Gospels about Peter's sleeping habits. You know these. Remember, he went to at the most critical time in the Lord Jesus' life. At the Garden of Gethsemane, Peter, James, and John, they went to sleep. And they kept sleeping. And Luke tells us it's because they were so stressed and distressed. It just caused them to, they slept because of their distress. But then you have, over in Acts, around, uh, it's around uh, 18, 13, I forgot the chapter. It's a great story. Herod has arrested Peter. He's going to go on trial before Herod, the governor, the next day. And the scripture says he's chained literally to two Roman soldiers. Now, can you imagine the sleep you're going to get chained to two guys? First of all, all three men, and here you are chained together. That's enough to think about. Second thing is, it says the angel of the Lord appeared and had to kick him in the side to wake him up. Now, that's a man whose life had changed. You want to have a good night's sleep? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ by faith. And remember, he is risen from the dead. And he is coming again. Well, there you go. That was extra. It wasn't in the notes. Have a great evening. God bless you. Hope to see you Sunday.